Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me. And it's the 19th of September 2019. A lot of nines. If you're a fan of number nine. Anyway, um, I just think of that Beatles song, number nine, number nine. Um, yeah, thank you for joining me today. Sunny day, it's really nice. Uh, feels like spring's actually come and hit us straight in the face and it's really, really good. Everyone's up and about. Um, great time of year to feel good and everything as well. So, and plenty to talk about as well. It's been a pretty busy week actually. Um, and now I get to do this for an hour or whatever and talk about all the lovely things going on in the world of motorsport and sport in general, um, sport in general, because, uh, footy finals are on at the moment here and I'll go over that stuff towards the end of the podcast, but, um, yeah, straight off the top getting into F1 and the Singapore Grand Prix this weekend and it's whenever you hit Singapore in a year it kind of hits you in a way that oh you know the European races are done so you know how quickly the season has flown past you know it almost feels like yesterday we're here in Melbourne kicking off the kicking off the season and then you know we've gone and done our European races and now the flyaway season resumes, you know, and Singapore, it's always a popular one under lights, street circuit, always say that it's basically like an endurance race, this one, given how tough it is, it always is one of the longest races on the calendar as well, gets very close to that two-hour um, cut-off mark as well, you know, northward, notwithstanding all the safety car appearances we have, you know, chaos everywhere, you know, just think back to a couple of years ago, 2017, when um, the first lap, and it was raining as well, you know, who would have thought we'd see rain at a Singapore Grand Prix, um, rain, you know, hit, and then Ferrari off the front row or whatever, both capitulate, or Sebastian Vettel capitulates, and um, takes out his teammate, takes out Max Verstappen, and then, you know, pretty much hands Lewis Hamilton the, the win and the championship on a silver platter, so... A lot of crazy stuff can happen here as always and you know even though it's at night you know under lights you think it'd be a lot cooler but it's not it's still very hot out there that's just you know the tropical weather that they have in that part of the world I've never been to Singapore but I've been in Hong Kong and Thailand you know places like that where you know the even in the evenings you know at this time of year it can be very hot still so humid the humidity is what the um the real test is and you know we heard a few years ago um Jean-Eric Verne I think it was um, when he was racing for Toro Rosso that he actually fainted in the car or after the race you know in 2014 when they had those really crazy weight restrictions as well and the drivers were basically like stick figures so no wonder that you know after having so much fluid drained throughout the race that at the end of it you know you basically just pass out so you know it's um I'm glad that we've sort of stepped away from that and the drivers are allowed to have a bit more mass on, you know, as well. Um, it was actually an interesting um, interesting document or something I saw on Twitter last night about um, driver heights, you know, the all the drivers on the grid this year, their heights, and interesting to see that there was no one under 170 centimetres, so pretty tall tall grid this year you could say and um albon the the top at the top there pretty tall fellow 
Um, I just think back to you know Fernando Alonso, Felipe Massa. Those guys were quite um, quite short, <laughs> um, and I was I was quite stunned the first time I saw Fernando Alonso how short he actually was in person. You know, I was expecting him to be kind of my height. You know, I think I'm you know 168 or 170 somewhere around there, and yeah, no, he was he was shorter, so that was a big surprise. Anyway, Singapore Grand Prix. It's conducted on European time, which is good for those guys. They get to um, sleep during the day and then come out at night to race, you know, whereas for us here, we still got to view the race in the evening time, um, 10.30 or what is it, 10 past 10, I think, this time, better than 11 past 10, uh, 10 past 11, sorry. And only two of the current drivers have actually won races here. So that's, of course, Seb and, um, and Lewis. Four wins apiece here. And Lewis has won the last two, of course. You know, you would have thought that after 2015, where Mercedes just had the most offest of off weekends, that, you know, they wouldn't be able to figure out their problems quickly. But they did, you know. And then they were back in the winner's circle the year after. Same, you know, 17 and 18 and Ferrari, who were kings here a few years ago, they just they've just fallen away. And as I said, you know this race for Ferrari after their wins in Spa, Monza with Charles Leclerc, this is going to be the litmus test for them because they won at high. You know we expected them to win at, or I expected them to win at the high speed tracks at Spa and Monza, but have they actually made any progress um, over the mid season break where you know they've sort of corrected their development path and everything and can they actually bother or challenge Mercedes at a at a high downforce circuit you know where there's a lot of stop start corners not a lot of um, big straights and whatnot so you know the more emphasis on the rear end of the car um, as well to get that braking right which Ferrari have struggled with all year and in the hot conditions as well with that um suit them so yeah this is going to be a real test for them this weekend if they could um if they've actually turned a leaf but you would expect regardless that mercedes and red bull will be the guys to look at this weekend lewis of course you know four wins here bottas hasn't won a race since um, baku earlier in the year he'll be looking to um perhaps get some more wins under his belt you know the championship probably doesn't look possible at this stage mathematically it's there on the table but you know his form hasn't been the greatest, I guess, in the middle part of the season. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's just a matter of when, not if, you know, Lewis is going to win that sixth championship. So, you know, you'd expect that to be wrapped up again early this season, probably around that um, Mexico or Texas um, time later on in a, about a month and a half. So, you know, it's it's come to that stage again. And, you know, it's... it's, it's inevitably going to be depressing or it is depressing that you know we've had another great year of racing you know apart from you know the start where it was a bit slow we've had another great year of racing we've had great races since the Austrian Grand Prix all the way to now after Monza the Italian Grand Prix and the championship has been one-sided once again you know it's you know we look at it in MotoGP is the same way as well, you know, and, you know, Marc Marquez has got such a huge lead at the moment that championship is not possible for anyone else, but yet we've had some really, really good races, so, you know, we just need someone to really pull together an entire campaign to be able to challenge Hamilton and Mercedes to the title, and 
hopefully it'll be next year, fingers crossed, but that's next year, and there's no time like the present. <laughs> um, so yeah, you'd expect Red Bull to be up there this weekend, Max Verstappen, um, last two races haven't been the best for him, but you know, they've got fresh Honda power unit, you'd think that this circuit would suit them, Honda as well, you know, they're not on the same level, or they're supposed to now be on the same level as Mercedes power output wise, after that spec 4 upgrade, so perhaps this weekend we'll see them, you know, really up there with Mercedes, and Alex Albon too, you know, this closest thing to a home race he'll get, um, down to Singapore, close, near Thailand, I guess, so, you know, there'll be a lot of Thai fans, I'm sure, that'll flock to, to see how Albon goes, and you'd think, um, yeah, you know, some good results to come for him as well, you know, he's scored his best results all season in the first two races for Red Bull, fifth and sixth, um, at Spa and Monza, so, you know, I'm not going to rule out a podium potentially for Albon this season if um, he can get himself up there, you know, it's all about qualifying as well at this circuit, apart from, you know, 2017 when Sebastian Vettel from pole position ended up um, retiring from the race, crashing out, so yeah, it's kind of like Monaco where, you know, having qualifying um, position is quite crucial, but there is, you know, reasonable amount of space to do some overtaking if you're brave enough you can do it but um otherwise you know strategy is going to be a big thing two stops potentially wouldn't be surprised if it was just a one stop just depending on the conditions and everything so you know that's um could potentially be three teams fighting for the win which would be good to see but you know you'd on paper you'd walk into the weekend and say Hamilton and Mercedes really know how to pull pull a good weekend here together, so, you know, your safe bet would be those guys, but that's pretty boring to just predict that, so let's, you know, go in and say potentially Verstappen could be up for a win this weekend, so, yeah, that would be, um, that would be my early tip, depending on how they go in practice, of course. Um, Sebastian Vettel, a lot, we've talked about him on this podcast over the last month, two months or whatever, the whole year basically, we've just had nothing really good to say about Seb unfortunately, but he's gathered some support from unlikely sources, Nico Rosberg and uh, Juan Pablo Montoya um, have backed Vettel to recover, you know, to he's saying that he's not past it yet, he can still rebound and whatnot, um, and I think heading into next year, you know, where he'll be given a fresh opportunity to challenge for the title, it's all about having a solid end to this year, you know, having a solid end to 2019, can he get a win under his belt as well, that's going to be big for his confidence, because, you know, those years, that you never would have thought this when he was at Red Bull winning all those championships, that, you know, at the turn of the hybrid era, that he would be two seasons, and he has gone two seasons winless, so 2014, 2016, he was winless, 2019 potentially going to be winless as well, we hope not, well there's seven races to go, so there's clearly opportunity there for him to win one race, um, and that would be quite, it would be a repeat of 14 again if he ended the season without a win, and his rookie teammate, or his new teammate, sorry, um, has won two so far. Potentially could win a few more. So, yeah, this is where this is going to be a real test for Seb this back half of the year and seeing whether he can actually pull together some good results. And I think a win is going to be what they need 
what he needs for his confidence. Forget about just podiums. This guy is a four-time world champion. He's going to need wins to to convince everyone that he's still got it in him. And then next year as well, do Ferrari put their support behind Leclerc to challenge for the championship, or um, do they both get equal status? I be- I don't believe that. You know, Seb can clearly be the number one anymore. They've got to be on equal status um, heading into next year. If not, Leclerc being the number one, which I'm sure won't go down well with Seb, but. Yeah, they've got to be equal status now, those two guys. So, um, yeah, that's about it with that. So, you know, if Seb is one around here four times, he could totally come out and win this weekend too. I don't know. But it is going to be imperative for him to put pull together those results this um, in the back half of the year. And, you know, I'd expect no less than a win to come out of him if possible. Um, even, you know, in that latter part of the year where you know Hamilton ends up um, switching off a little bit even though he didn't do it last year he won every race after he won the championship um, you know it could be it could be that yeah you know um, Seb wins um, later on you know especially around Brazil and um, Abu Dhabi time so yeah moving it on I guess into the midfield part of the championship and Renault come out and said that, you know, overcoming McLaren is completely doable in the back half of the year now. So they had a great race in Monza, scored a lot of points and were able to cut that deficit to McLaren, who are fourth in the championship. Um, they put a, cut out a big, sizable chunk of that advantage. But McLaren, on the contrary, have come out and said they're not going to compromise their 2020 preparation for the current fight with Renault. So... You know, you've got two teams that, you know, that fourth place will be um, quite crucial. Renault probably have had it a bit more tough this year. You know, they've, uh, you, they were the team, they were the team expected to be in that fourth position all year long. Yet, you know, we're in the second half of the season and they're still playing catch up, you know. So, you know, that just shows you how good of a job McLaren have done. And, you know, they've had a bit of bad luck, I guess, the last couple of races. But, you know, if the team principal, Andreas Seidel, and the team itself come out and said that they're not going to compromise uh, what they're preparing for next year, you know, starting from scratch again and, you know, making more progress, um, then you'd have to get behind that. But at the same time, both drivers, you know, Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, have done an exceptional job this season. And I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of a fight on track between those two parties. Of course, Renault coming out and saying it's a bit awkward fighting with McLaren for that position. Awkward because McLaren are supplied by Renault for power units. So, you know, it's um, if McLaren were to finish on top of Renault this year, that would be mega awkward because, you know, you've got the factory team who were supposed to be miles ahead of the rest of the midfield and um, they've had McLaren with the same spec engines come and beat them so that'll be one to follow um, this weekend. McLaren haven't done as well here over the last few years as they would have liked to have. Um, Monaco this year was okay so you know you'd hope that this time out they'd be good. Science seems to go really well around here. So, you know, for Toro Rosso, he scored a few good results. So, and um, I think when he was at Renault last year as well, he might have been in the top 10. So, you know, he's totally a good operator around here. A smooth operator, if you excuse the pun. Um, Science seeing that on the team radio 
forgot what race it was, but it was quite funny. Just those two guys this year have been quite funny to watch. You know, I think it's been my favourite driver lineup. Um, no bias there towards McLaren at all, but um, you know they've been easily my favourite driver lineup to to follow. You know, especially on social media and some of the the garbage they get up to. Lando Norris in particular, he's just a total rat bag, but you know a, a likable rat bag. You know, and um, that cap that he that hat that he wears now, that silly little bucket, <laughs> silly little bucket hat um, with a Valentino Rossi doctor logos all over it you know if i can get my hands on one of those i totally want lando to sign it you know and then i'll put it in like in a box or something you know like a one of those display cases if i can next year that would be quite spectacular you know like just bow down to lord lando like he's some kind of overlord um this godlike figure which you know you know he probably has a big um a cult following who knows probably would freak him out but anyway <laughs> so that's uh, McLaren and Renault those guys they're interesting as well in regards to Renault and Daniel Ricciardo in particular is that there's a bit of doubt now about whether he'll be at Renault in 2021 so Cyril Abitable the team principal saying that he wouldn't mind pulling the resources around a Renault Academy driver for 2021 you know obviously Esteban Ocon signed on for a, um, a bit of a stint there at Renault so you know, if, um, you know, he's going to be there in 21, is Ocon, then um, the seat that would go to one of the academy drivers would be um, Ricardo's seat. So what does Dan do for 2021? You know, is it aligning himself with the um, rest of the big names who are going to be out of contract and potentially um, vying for a seat out of Mercedes or a uh, Ferrari potentially? even Red Bull, I don't think Dan would go back to Red Bull at this stage in his career, maybe if Seb decides to go back to Red Bull or retires, you know, Dan will go over to Ferrari and um, all that sort of jazz, so yeah, you know, that was interesting reading those comments and, you know, it kind of, you know, you kind of then stop to wonder, you know, what the whole point about going to Renault was this year, you know, for the next couple of years, was it just a you know, high salary stopgap solution for Daniel Ricciardo. You know, did he really believe that, you know, Renault's going to be the team that takes his career forwards um, on the track and, you know, could he achieve success with Renault? But it, I guess, so far this year, it hasn't really shown. And we weren't expecting them to make, we weren't expecting them to be like moving the earth. But, you know, it's been painstakingly not much happening with painstakingly it's been very uh very stale the season i think with renault so yeah um you'd hope that more about that can be uh brought into light in the future but of course we've still got next year to go and who knows what renault are going to do but renault there's the onus is on them they've got to do a good job that's basically it they've got to show improvements otherwise you can say that this whole thing has been a a waste of time you know because you know They've got manufacturers. They've got Red. Uh, they've got Ferrari. They've got Mercedes fighting for the championship, winning races. Red Bull with Honda as well as the factory team for Honda, fighting for championships. So why can't Renault, the factory team, be up there as well? You know, they've 
taken all this time now to rebuild themselves and upgrade their factory and everything at Endstone. So clearly, you know, the time is running out for them to deliver those results. So um, that's going to be that in regards to Renault. Big update coming for Racing Point this weekend as well. So tricks up their sleeve, um, as uh, said by the drivers, um, could be the boost that they need for this season. So don't rule them out potentially fighting inside that top 10 for results, you know, potentially taking points away from the likes of McLaren and Renault. Um, Williams as well announced that uh, they're going to be continuing their partnership with Mercedes-Benz for power units until 2025 at the earliest. So that's good stability for those guys as they look to rebuild as well. And quite um, convincing as well, given that, you know, we're going to have that big upheaval in regulations in 2021 that, you know, Williams have their faith in Mercedes to continue developing, uh, to continue developing and producing a, um, a strong power unit package, you know, given that those regulations haven't really been set in stone just yet. So great from that perspective. Haas, you know, they've announced... Um, well, they did announce a few weeks ago that they're splitting officially with Rich Energy. So this is going to be their first race um, since that split has happened. They've revised their livery, which is basically it's the same livery with a black and gold, which is good to see. But just without any Rich Energy logos or um, um, writing on there. So, yeah, that's that's those guys. And quickly going back to Williams... Um, Robert Kubitzer, I guess, you know, it's kind of obvious that we're not going to see him on the grid next year. It's been an awful season for him. Um, not that fairy tale comeback that we all would have wanted, but um, his future's pretty much um, up for discussion at the moment with, um, you know, him potentially in line to go over to DTM with Audi and that um, seat at Williams, I guess, you know, not as clear cut who's going to join George Russell as first thought, but... You know, there was a bit of talk about Nick DeVries potentially um, ending up in that seat there next year, but that's not going to happen because DeVries has been announced as um, one of Mercedes's Formula E drivers. So that's really good to see DeVries um, commit himself to Formula E. He's there with Stoffel Van Dorn for that team next year, which is going to be really exciting to see those guys. Kind of ironic as well that both those guys are ex-McLaren academy drivers of course DeVries um, uh, announcing that he's split with McLaren as well earlier in the year I think so you know really freeing himself up to go and um, approach other opportunities and yeah him along with Van Dorn I think is a really really solid lineup young lineup determined lineup and Mercedes I guess in a better position I think um, and this is coming from a non-Formula E expert, I think, because they've had that one season worth of preparation with HWA on the grid. They've got more miles under their belt or whatever, so, you know, I think they'll probably do better this year than, say, Porsche, for example, who are just starting up a new team altogether and um, will come in to the uh, championship. So a lot happening in that instance. A lot to happen this weekend and in Singapore gonna review it all of course next week what happens but you know it's just kind of weird because we're getting close to the end of the year now you know and Singapore going as I said flyaway race is kind of that first signal that ah oh, you know the European season's done and we're heading towards the end of the championship so and yeah Russia Russian Grand Prix straight away next week so back-to-back -back races and um, we'll have to preview that one for you as well next week.
Moving it on now and um, supercars, again, that great time of the year for supercars as well, heading into the final part of the season, but we've got the Enduro Cup next up, but we had um, a super sprint round in Auckland over the weekend, Pugakoi, always a popular one as well, and obviously with five Kiwis on the grid, um, three of which, you know, up at the top, um, top end of town, fighting for the championship and everything, you know, it's always going to be a popular round I guess and um, going through some of the talking points now and um, you know Shane Van Gisbergen back in the winner's circle winning the first race on Saturday he was on the podium on Sunday um, dominant win actually so this kind of goes hand in hand with um, point number two which is uh, aero tweaks helping Triple Eight get back into the winner's circle so another parity adjustment made heading into Pukakoi causing controversy once again and you know it's going to be really terrible that the whole year is basically going to be remembered for you know the parody debate and all that so the zb commodore getting another gurney flap and a couple of other adjustments as well um on the rear of the car and the under the car they were one two in the race in race 23 a dominant one two before there was a penalty handed to Jamie Wincup for punting Nick Percat and then of course the safety car controversy which I'm going to talk about um shortly as well so you know Van Gisbergen had a really good weekend of course and won the Jason Richards Jason Richards Memorial Trophy of course which um is the trophy given to the winner having the most points um, at the end of the round in Auckland. So Jason Richards, of course, um, former supercars driver who passed away in um, 2011 to cancer, um, which is really sad. And, um, you know, of course, racing in his memory over there in um, Pukekohe. So, yeah, Van Gisbergen winning his second Jason Richards trophy, which is great for him. Um, Scott McLaughlin had a decent weekend as well. Um, And this is what um, comes back to the whole parity debate now is that one now that they've had this adjustment and we've seen Triple Eight strong in the first race and they were looking strong in the second race too, it's kind of hard talking about this and not being a bit cynical because Supercars has come out and defended um, the process and said, oh, you know, they were well within their rights to grant the Holden team's this change you know um even though the commission really didn't agree to it um it was to either talk about all year that oh it's all to do with achieving parity achieving parity achieving parity achieving parity but what you've done basically is now um the ford teams and dgr team penske had a bit of an off weekend they weren't really on the same pace as triple eight and has this come at a rather convenient time as well, the cynics might ask, about, you know, next race is Bathurst, of course. Bathurst is a very aero-sensitive track, so have these tweaks come at a right time for Triple Eight? Who knows? You know, it's hard not to, you know, whether, whatever, if you're going to weigh in on this debate, you're always going to be either cast aside as, you know, a conspiracy theorist um, as being anti-Triple Eight or, you know, a Triple Eight fanboy who wants to say that Supercars is against them or say that, oh, Supercars is basically bending a knee to Triple Eight to give them whatever they want and, you know, that sort of thing. You know, you either just stay quiet on it, don't talk about it, but where's the fun in that? Because, of course, there's 
this is supposed to be a competitive championship where everyone gets uh, the opportunity. You got to say that DGR Team Penske and Ford Ford Performance have done a stellar job this year to get a new car on the grid, the Ford Mustang. And the Ford Mustang has been ultra dominant. That's not because they've broken the rules or anything. They've built the car within the rules and everything. They had adjustments made in the early part of the season. They were still pretty strong. Now they've gone and made this latest adjustment and you think that the scales have finally tipped in favour of the, the Holden team. You know, and that's what doesn't sit right with me because as much as we like parity, I like parity and I want a competitive championship, don't take away what another team has worked towards, you know, or worked hard towards, you know. Let them have their time in the sun. Wait for next year and, you know, do a better job next year for the Holden teams. I mean, remember 2015 when the the Falcon FGX made its debut and how strong that was and, you know, basically ProDrive, Tickford, FPR made their tilt for the championship. Mark Winterbottom ended up winning in the end. They lost the team's championship, though, because um, Chaz Mostert was uh, out for the rest of the year after that crash at Bathurst. But the following year, it felt like, you know, those guys, that advantage that they had didn't exist. You know, they were so... I think they only won, like, one race all year or two races, whereas, you know, Triple Eight, it was basically them who were there. It was um, Van Gisbergen, of course, his first year in the Red Bull Commodore, Win Cup going for a seventh championship, and ultimately Van Gisbergen ended up winning that year. So I fully expect next year Triple Eight or Holden to come out and have a great year while, you know, maybe the Mustangs will struggle. But the fact that they've had to make all these changes throughout the year is is so disillusioning because I don't want to get to Bathurst next up and for a repeat of what happened at Sandown last year to happen this time, you know, where Triple Eight win 1-2-3. Well, it's not going to happen 1-2-3, but 1-2 finish for Triple Eight there at Bathurst. And this whole hoo-ha all year about, oh, you know, the unfair advantage that Ford have and blah, blah, blah. Like, what about all the advantages that they've had over the years? I mean, if anything, you got to say that the thing that's hurt them the most this year not, is not the Mustang, but is the the change to the linear spring, you know? Um, and they couldn't get their heads around that quick enough, so that's why other teams got ahead of them, you know? But now that we've gone and fiddled with the aerodynamics and everything a hell of a lot, of, a whole lot of times... Um, we've finally achieved what people want, and that's um, the same team, same Holden team, unfortunately, on top, which, unfortunately, and I'm not saying this as, you know, a fan of one team or another, I'm just saying this is even a neutral, that it's kind of unfair that, yeah, you know, we get them back on the top at the end of the day because they've been vocal about making changes, you know, it's... Um, it's not fair, you know, if that's what they're arguing, that, oh, it's not fair that, you know, Ford have got this advantage, well, tough. Why should there be changes made as a result, you know? If anything, and I've said this all along all year, if they're going to make changes, if they're going to do rehomologation, this and that, do it at the end of the year, heading into the next year, you know? Don't let it affect this year's championship, which... You know, Scott McLaughlin has a 598-point lead at the moment over his rivals. What if he has a terrible Enduro Cup, you know, because you get 300 points per race, apart from the two races at Gold Coast where it's 150 each. 
what if he loses that lead? Like, Van Gisbergen wins Bathurst, 300 points. McLaughlin DNF. Then he wins both races in the Gold Coast or wins Sandown, which is another 300 points. Then that's your lead gone. You know, and that's basically because they've got the right car at this time of year, or they've had these adjustments help them get the right car at this time of year. And, you know, because the Enduro Cup is so unpredictable that, you know, you could have an off off campaign. And, you know, hopefully for McLaughlin, that's not the case because, you know, he's chasing his first Bathurst victory. He finally got on the podium last year with his um, reliable co-driver in Alex Premer. Um, and I'm hoping that those guys can get the job done this year. But, you know, it's, it's just frustrating that, you know, it's constantly... It's so one-sided, this debate, and, you know, you get labelled as a conspiracy theorist, or, you know, you're supporting the other camp, but even from a neutral perspective, I don't mind seeing, you know, the Blue Oval, for example, actually getting the better of for um getting the better of Holden at the moment, you know, where was, where was all this, you know, when Triple Eight were so strong with Ford when they were with Ford all those years ago you know and the Holden racing team at the time run by Walkinshaw they were they were struggling you know it's just you know power play and you know posturing and all that sort of nonsense is it's annoying you know it's not it's just takes away from the fun of things quite a lot and especially in motorsport it's it's just really depressing that so and I guess the safety car controversy too. Let's let's go over that um, on the Sunday race twenty four in Pukekohe was again just another posturing exercise, basically. I think from Triple Eight and Jamie Wincup as well. He was totally in the wrong. And let's explain what happened here. And lap fourteen sees the safety car deployed because David Reynolds um, conked out. He was able to make it back to the pits, but um, the safety car was on track. It picked up Jamie Wincup as the leader of the race, even though he had just um, pitted and he was actually the theoretical race leader, but not on the track he was the leader. So on the track, it was Scott McLaughlin that was the leader. Um, But it was an error from race control. But, you know, once the safety car is deployed, its sole objective is to clear the track of whatever hazard is out there. And... um, Given that Pukiko is such a short track and the pit lane is so long that, you know, it just had to pick up whichever car and it picked up Wind Cup, um, unfortunately. So that was, I guess, race control's only error is that they brought out the safety car. They picked up the wrong leader, you know. But what happened from there is that, you know, Wind Cup decided to take the matter into his own hands, of course. While the safety car lights are still yellow, you're not allowed to pass. And, you know, we all at that time were like, well, yeah, Wincup's not the real leader, it's McLaughlin. But Wincup decided to just pass the safety car, right? And um, the guys behind him, such as Lee Holdsworth, who qualified on his first front row since, I think, 2012 or something like that, you know, when he was back at GRM, um, on track for his first podium in so many years, 2014, I think, when he won at Winton with Erebus, who was the last time we saw Holdsworth on the podium, he and the other guys stayed behind, you know, Coulthard was up there as well, and um, Cameron Waters, but Wincup just decides to bolt, you know, rather than waiting for the safety car to, you know, wave through, like what happened in a lap and a half time was that the safety car then allowed the drivers to 
wave get waved through and find the the right positions and everything before they could get back to green flag racing. Wincup decides to bolt off on his own, then has a rant after the race about it, you know, that supercars and race control, the guys up there just sit and drink too many wines or whatever he said, comments that he now regrets, obviously, um, coming out and um, making that statement a few days later. drive through penalty handed to Jamie Wincup, um, which pretty much ruined his race, you know, if even if he didn't pass the safety car and went back into position... He might have not won the race, but still would have had um, a good result, you know. And Scott McLaughlin went on to win the race, of course, being the benefactor, um, winning his 17th race as well, which was, um, you know, now breaks the record of Lowndes' 16 in a season. So, new supercars record, a Penske record as well, something that Mark Donahue did um, back in the 60s, win um, 17 races in a Penske car in a single season, so um, congratulations to Scotty on that one. But I think I feel really heartbroken for Lee Holdsworth and the other guys, and Holdsworth in particular, who's been really luckless the last few years. And he was in the position to to win, not to win, sorry, but to finish on the podium, get a good result, you know. And, you know, this year, Tickford, the other cars have been on the podium, the other cars have won, in the case of Mostert, and Holdsworth hasn't, you know, he's just had the rotten end of the rotten end of the stick. But, you know, that really hurt his race. But that's I guess what we've got to focus on is that that mistake from race control cost Holdsworth and Co. But for Wincup to take matters into his own own hands again, you know, it's not the first time he's passed a safety car when he wasn't supposed to. Uh huh, Bathurst two thousand fifteen. Um that's just, yeah, like, you know, and this is the team that gets the aero, you know, gets the aero parity help them as well. I don't hate Triple Eight, but sometimes I just don't like the way that this stuff works in their favour, you know, like other teams have to slug it out and do the hard yards and whatnot, yet this one just gets handed to them on a silver platter. And I'm glad that, you know, the penalty was just and handed out. Um, CAMS, the Confederation of Australian Motorsport, potentially looking at even handing out a race band to win cup as well. So, you know, all I hope is that we don't get to Bathurst in a few weeks and it's a triple eight walkover. That would just ruin the whole season, I think, for supercars. You know, as much as their fans will want to have a good result, I don't think supercars in general would want that. Triple Eight have achieved quite a bit. I respect them as a team. I respect them as an organisation. But this sort of stuff is just... It's what puts them down as being villains in the sport, you know. And, of course, sport is great with a few villains around. But come on, like, this is just crossing the line a little bit there. And um, I'm not defending race control at all. And supercars made a mistake there as well. But, you know, it was more... It was amplified more so by what Wincup did, I think. And I think that was unnecessary. So... Yeah, that's that's that. You know, that was uh, such an eventful weekend at Pukekohe and leading into such a crucial time in the year with the Enduro Cup as well. Um, just hoping that things like that doesn't happen, you know, and we get some good racing dictate, um, you know, dictate the results and everything and what we make of it. So, yeah, that's 
that's all the controversy and the controversial stuff um, out of the way. And um, we had some other news leading into the weekend. So landmark re- uh, landmark deal for David Reynolds, 10-year deal to stay with Erebus Motorsport. He'll be 44 by the time he retires. Great, because there's such a good fit. And then, of course, next up, Bathurst, you know, less than a month to go till the big one. Um, so excited about the wild cards and there's going to be actually a cup another one potentially on the horizon the team kiwi racing looking to get a um, car from triple eight um, on the grid we've already got the walkinshaw and dreading united um, wild card and we've had it confirmed that it's going to be in the napa the napa colors which you know alexander rossi has on his indy car so that'll be a, such a great livery to see um, on the grid there um, Rossi and Hinchcliffe coming over from the US and of course the Kostecki brothers um, wild card as well so super excited for Bathurst as always already got my leave sorted for that weekend there's no way I'm going to be working even on Saturday when you've got the top 10 shootout as well in the afternoon to look forward to and all the practice sessions and even the Super 2 um, development series race is always a good one as well on the Saturday so super exciting it's um this time of year in general is just really good for sport you know you've got all these f1 races um you've got the enduro cup you've got the footy finals on as well it's just it's just booming and then spring of course as well it's just it just makes everything so much better and exciting you know it's just you, you just glow you know i feel like doing handstands even though i can't do handstands anyway <laughs> Alright, trying to wrap things up for this week's podcast, it's uh, already turned into a bit of a long one um, and I've still got a bit to cover, but um, straight into Hit the Globe now, looking what's happening across the world and um, MotoGP of course, a great race again over there in Mizano, last lap thriller, this time Marquez wasn't mugged at the final corner like he was for the last two races by Davizioso and Alex Rins, but this time he did the mugging and got past Fabio Quattararo on the final lap to win that one, close finish, and Quattararo's just been a sensation all year, and, um, you know, you'd hope that next year can be in championship contention on that satellite Yamaha bike, or his future aboard a factory Yamaha, potentially, um, when Valentino Rossi decides to retire, um, could be at the end of next year that Rossi does um, hang up the helmet. So, you know, Quattararo is going to definitely be an exciting one to watch um, in the future. I just hope that Quattararo's fate isn't the same as Johan Zarco because Zarco on a satellite Yamaha was similarly as good a couple of years ago. And then, you know, this year the switch to KTM has been pretty, has been pretty disastrous. And now we've got the news that um, Zarco will not, see out the rest of the season on the KTM so he's taking the rest of the year off and Mika Carlio the test rider will come in to replace him for the remaining races so really feel for Johan because he was such an exciting talent to watch and this year has just been has been a disaster for him so yeah we hope that um, we get to see Johan Zarco back on the grid uh, whether it's in MotoGP or in Moto2 sometime soon hopefully next year um, but otherwise, yeah, great race with MotoGP again, and they're, I think they've got Aragon left, and then they're on their flyaways again as well, you know, and the Australian Grand Prix coming up soon at Phillip Island um, at the end of October. The Ashes, so England won the final test to draw the series, even though Australia retained the urn, um, 
kind of a weird series this one you know neither team really at their best but you know it was a lot of ugly cricket but it was um an exciting ashes series regardless as ashes series are and you know i guess steve smith as well the real highlight pat cummins with the ball for australia you know and they're you know they are respectively number one ranked in the bowling and batting departments in the world now in the test series AFL with the um, third week of finals, so we had those elimination games last week, or the semi-finals, sorry, and GWS and Geelong made it through, so GWS will play Collingwood this Saturday, and um, notwithstanding a few injuries on both sides, so GWS, of course, they've been hit by a suspension for Toby Green, who we talked about last week, getting into trouble the week before. So two weeks in a row, he's had some trouble, and he's actually taking it to the appeals board this evening. So trying to see if he can get away with that. And Lockie Whitfield, of course, a key defender for GWS, out as well this game. So I tip Collingwood. I've tipped Collingwood all along to get the job done, make it to the grand final. Similarly with... Um, Richmond and Geelong, of course, I think Richmond will get the job done uh, Friday night. Geelong, of course, missing um, Tom Hawkins, a key player for them. More workload, I guess, being put on to Patrick Dangerfield in that sense. But, you know, I think Richmond, they've been consistent. And at this time of year, they look pretty strong. So to see those two teams meet in the grand final next week, Geelong, uh, sorry, um, Richmond and Collingwood, you know, I've got some visual merchandising work um, resting upon um, those two teams making it to the finals. So, you know, I hope that that indeed happens. So, yeah, two exciting games to watch this weekend if you're into the AFL. Similarly, with the NRL, week one of the finals last week, and we had a few upsets, um, none more so than the Canberra Raiders upsetting the Melbourne Storm um, to go straight into the prelim. Um, joining the Sydney Roosters, of course, who beat, uh, who trounced South Sydney, who will have to play this week against um, Manly in the semi-finals. Melbourne Storm, of course, have to play Parramatta, who drubbed Brisbane and um, the Broncos. Unfortunately, a lot of um, negative chat going around them at the moment. Of course, a review going on into their season. You know, 58 nil, they were thrashed by Parramatta. Um, apparently, the players were on the pokies the night before you know not the not the ideal preparation for one of the biggest games of the year so Brisbane they're going to have to take a good hard look at themselves going into next year um, and you know Parramatta I don't think they'll get they'll be able to get the job done against Melbourne Melbourne though will win but then you know who we were expecting to play in the grand final um, are, end up, uh, are going to end up playing in the um, the prelims, so that'll be Melbourne and Sydney playing in the prelim final if Melbourne win this week against Para, and then the Bunnies and Seagulls. Well, you know, I think mainly kind of, they can be the fairy tale story. I guess um, this year they were, you know, outside the top eight. They were a terrible team last year. They get Des Hasler back as their coach, and suddenly with the same list and with a lot of injuries too this year, they've um, finished quite well. You know in the top eight, of course, and now on their way to potentially a prelim if they can beat South Sydney, who I think might be just, might have peaked too early in the season and this time of year, they're not going to really make much of an impact. So yeah, I expect, um, uh, I expect Manly and 
Melbourne to win this week. Um, and then we'll have some tasty prelim finals, of course. If uh, Manly win, they'll play Canberra. And, of course, um, if Melbourne win, they'll play Sydney, Sydney Roosters um, next weekend. And capping it all off, I guess, IndyCar, the Laguna Seca finale with the four drivers in championship contention. Joseph Newgarden, of course, at the top of the standings in the best position. Alexander Rossi again there. Simon Paginow and Scotty Dixon. So, you know, those four drivers, um, it's going to be an interesting race um, dictated by qualifying, says Alexander Rossi. You know, which position you qualify um, will have a big bearing on how you'll who will win the championship so yeah you know that'll be very interesting to see and you know I've said you know it'll be exciting if um we see Alexander Rossi come to our shores here to contest the Bathurst 1000 as the IndyCar champion that will be quite something um if that were to to pay off and yeah that's IndyCar and quickly as well another thing on this weekend there's so much this weekend um Shannon's Nationals, if anyone follows that, you know, um, combination of GT, Australian GT Championship, the TCR, this new Super S5000 category as well, which will be exciting, and it's at Sandown too, so I'm actually going to head on down there on Sunday, um, see the GT Championship, um, see the TCR for the first time as well, and this S5000, which its debut race will be there this weekend, and, you know, they've got a certain ex-Ferrari winner, um, ex-Ferrari F1 winner in the car as well, um, certain Rubens Barrichello jumping into an open wheel car for the first time since his, um, uh, less than average IndyCar season back in 2012, so, yeah, if that's not exciting enough, then I don't know what is, so, yeah, big weekend coming up, I can't wait, so, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty to talk about next week as well, um, not withstand, not no less than the Singapore Grand Prix, of course. Um, so yeah, Whew, out of breath. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in anyway this week, guys. Um, we'll be back, of course, this time next week to digest all what's happened this weekend and preview the next round of Formula One and, of course, the next round of the footy finals, of course, which will be the grand final for the AFL and um, the prelims for NRL. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time. Ciao.